Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 158. I am your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is this week's special guest co-host from the Mega Man Network and the Fully Charged Podcast, David Oxford. Hey, how's it going? Long time, no speak. Things are good. Things are good. It is obviously a busy time of year, and there are plenty of things to talk about in the world of Nintendo. As always, we are here to discuss the latest game impressions, news, as well as our big topic, which this week is going to be our gamers' non-game holiday gift guide. However, before we get to that, let's kick things off with the latest game impressions, starting with a big tile that I know a lot of Nintendo fans are talking about, that being Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. This game is, as many people know, a full-on remake of the very first generation of Pokemon games, specifically Pokemon Yellow. It is overflowing with Pokemon nostalgia. It has the same story, the same map, the same first-gen Pokemon of the Kanto region, and even a lot of the same dialogue. Depending on which version you get, either Pikachu or Eevee will follow you around and ride on your shoulder and otherwise be adorable, and you can also have other Pokemon follow you around as you explore. David, have you uh, picked this one up? Did you have any interest in this title? Uh, I've been back and forth on whether to play it. My wife has it. Mm-hmm. I think she's got Pikachu version. Honestly, my focus, I'm still kind of interested in getting Pokemon uh, Ultra Sun because uh, it's got Litten and that's just instantly become my favorite Pokemon. But <laughs> this one's had my curiosity a little bit. Well, I did start playing the Pikachu version of this game. And what I'm discovering so far is that for me, it is very much a mixed bag. On the plus side, it's very fun to re-experience this classic game in a whole new way. The game looks great. It's fully rendered in 3D and in high definition, and it's a million times more detailed and vibrant than it ever was on the Game Boy. There's also a new two-player option where anytime a second player can join in to help explore and fight. Plus, it borrows features from past Pokemon games like Experience Share, which is always on from the very beginning, and petting and playing with your Pokemon to form an emotional bond. And you can transfer Pokemon from Pokemon Go, although I have not tried that feature yet. It seems the only thing that this version of Pokemon doesn't have that the original did is the controversy from parents surrounding it. (laughs) Well, it probably doesn't have that. That is true. But, you know, there actually is a pretty big change in the game, and that is, you know, when it comes to the gameplay you no longer fight wild Pokemon. It does not have that aspect anymore. Now, you do still fight other trainers' Pokemon, and that functions just like it did in every past Pokemon game with move types and attributes and status effects and all that good stuff. But as you know, uh, trainers only show up at specific spots, so your opportunities to fight them are somewhat limited, comparatively speaking. Personally, I like the battles, but in this game, when you have a wild Pokemon encounter, you don't fight them, you just catch them by throwing your Pokeball at them, much like in Pokemon Go. For me, I I really hate random encounters, so Mm -hmm. not having random encounters is a huge draw for me. I started hearing about that, and it's like, maybe this is worth my time. Uh, Maybe it'll be worth a look at some point. Sometimes I still want to punch, like, you know, some of the trainers who are just, like, you know, (laughs) going on about shorts, like, you know, when I need to get my Pokemon to uh, Pokemon Center or something, but (laughs) I've, I've never been big on random battles. I like seeing my enemies on the map, and from what I hear, it actually really brings this game to life as opposed to the other ones. 
Well, I do like the fact that you can see the Pokemon on the screen. I think that's great. It lets you, you know, sort of sometimes avoid encounters if you don't want to have an encounter. And it lets you see exactly what Pokemon you're going to have a chance to capture. So if you're looking for that rare Pokemon, you don't have to get into like a zillion random battles. You can just be like, oh, wow, that one finally appeared and you can go after it. But... You know, the problem for me is that, you know, these critters are just about everywhere that there's not a town. You're still going to get into a lot of encounters that you can't really avoid, but they have taken out all of the strategy of battling. So you don't fight them. You just try to catch them in Pokeballs, much like in Pokemon Go. And, you know, they're all over the place in caves, in the tall grass. Uh, A lot of times these fights are unavoidable. And, uh, you know, you just end up doing this catching over and over and over again. You don't really want to avoid them necessarily because you need to earn that experience and level up your Pokemon as you do this catching. But what I discovered was that, you know, after a while, catching can be kind of tedious. At first, it was kind of boring and easy just because the Pokemon sit around there and allow themselves to be captured. But eventually they start moving around, they start fighting back to interrupt your throws, and it does require more of an effort. And in a way that's good, because the confrontations are more involved, but on the other hand, it's kind of bad because they're still shallow, but just more time-consuming. And like I said, I like the real battles because there's strategy, you're picking your team, you're choosing a move that works against your opponent, but that doesn't really exist when you're just flinging the Pokeball around. So while I definitely like seeing the Pokemon on the screen, that does help in a lot of ways, I still found just, you know, throwing the Pokeball, flinging it over and over again, you know, that would kind of cause that tedium to set in and take effect, and eventually I'm like, let's just avoid all these battles because I really don't need 38 Geodudes. Now, could I ask you a question? Say you end up in an encounter to catch a wild Pokemon. Are you able to, like, you know, it would be run from the battle in the previous games? I don't know if that term applies here, but can you effectively opt out of trying to catch it? Yes. Yes, you can. I never actually tried it in-game, but there is a runaway option. Because in the in the previous games, I, I would hate to... After a while, not always, but at times I would just not want to battle i would want to basically be able to escape i would find actually that having to constantly fight my way through every like you know few steps to be more taxing to me i would think at the very least that the catching mini game would break things up a little bit and i would hope that it would make the actual battles against trainers maybe a little more special I suppose that's arguable, but from my point of view, if I have to choose repetitive catching or repetitive battling, I would take the battle since I like the strategy involved. At the same time, uh, you know, granting options isn't always something that they want to do, like the motion control aspect from what I understand, because if you don't have the uh, game like in handheld mode, I think you're pretty much kind of forced to uh, use the motion controls, and I know some people are taking issue with that. Well, that does bring me to my other issue that I have with the game is that, yeah, I do think there are some problems with the controls. There are three ways you can play the game. One is with the Pokeball Plus, which you can buy bundled with the game. And yes, it's a cute little Pokeball. And the familiar circle in the center is a joystick. And you use that joystick to move. You click the joystick to function as the A button. And you press the hidden B button on the back to cancel. You can also shake the controller to fill in as a substitute for the Y button. Uh, Strangely, though, the game does not acknowledge that you're using 
the Pokeball Plus controller. It still gives instructions for the Joy-Con, which is weird since it seems kind of like it's a big part of the experience, but whatever. Anyway, when you try to catch the Pokemon, you make this flicking motion with the Pokeball Plus and you catch whatever's on the screen. And I found that that worked quite well. However, when you're not doing the catching, I thought it was kind of a pain, especially repeatedly clicking down the stick to skip through text, like when you, know, you have six Pokemon in your party that all level up. You know, that's not great. And there's also no home button or screenshot button, and it just seems like a less convenient way to control the game than it is using a regular Joy-Con. That is the second option. You can play using just one Joy-Con. You hold it in your hand like a Wii remote, moving with the joystick, pressing the buttons to take actions, and you still flick to throw Pokeballs. Uh, having a full range of buttons is very nice compared to the limitations of the Pokeball Plus, but I didn't find the flicking motion to be quite as accurate. Also, playing one-handed can still be kind of awkward when you're used to playing with traditional controls. My wife, uh, she mainly preferred to play in handheld mode. Uh, as far as the Pokeball controller, she left that on my side of the sofa at one point, so I wound up giving it to Trypticon. Ah, I see. But yes, uh, as you're alluding to, when you play undocked in handheld mode, you actually do get to play with more or less traditional controls. You move with the left stick, you throw Pokeballs with the A button, you use the joystick or motion controls to help position your throws, uh, unfortunately, there are no touchscreen menus as far as I could tell, but this was definitely the most comfortable option for me. But, you know, on the other hand, it's like, why, if it does support traditional controls in this manner, why is it only in handheld mode? Why is there no pro controller support? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I believe that one of the developers, I'm sorry I don't recall the name off the top of my head, basically said that they wanted everyone to experience the new, you know, gesture-based controls, and so that's basically their reason. Like it or lump it. Well, except you can clearly play it in handheld mode and, uh, you know, do it the, uh, the old-fashioned way. Why only in handheld mode? It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. Some people just kind of get caught up in their own innovations, I suppose. And then I guess my last criticism I would have of this game is that while it has been remade, I feel like in a lot of ways it has not been remade enough. Like, yes, it looks glorious compared to the original, and sure, it has plenty of new features, but there are still some things that feel like they're 20 years old. Like, NPCs often don't move, they just kind of look like statues or zombies. <laughs> you know, like there's one NPC that's supposed to be watering the lawn, but he just stands there completely inert. And there are only a handful of NPC models. Like, you'll walk through an area and you'll encounter the same kid like five times and they all look identical. And I understand why they did that on Game Boy, but it doesn't make any sense now. It seems like now they could have, you know, some variations in the different characters you encounter within an area. It just kind of feels you know, a little cheap. And you know, while a lot of the game world is really lively and it makes it feel like a living, breathing place, you know, something like that makes you again feel like, oh, yeah, this is just a video game based on a 20-year-old title. So that was something that I really think they could have taken to the next level. I wonder if that was like a conscious decision just to keep it faithful to the original. But, I mean, at the same time, they've changed up some other stuff in the game. Uh, so... And I don't just mean like, you know, just like the flicking and the catching of Pokemon, but just like in terms of a little bit of the story, so. 
yeah, I mean, you know, they've, they've altered stuff like that. The gyms look different. So obviously they do think it's okay to change some stuff, but yeah, that was an area where it definitely could have used more. You know, maybe it was because they wanted to get the game out in a timely fashion. It would probably take a lot more work to do things like that. And maybe that was just the way to be more efficient. But I think it really would have added a lot more life to this world had they gone out of their way to improve those animations and uh, add variety to the non-playable characters. Perhaps uh, they're saving that for the next mainline title. Hopefully. I definitely hope so. I mean, even the previous mainline titles like, you know, Sun and Moon, they uh, were a lot more lively in that regard. So it's kind of weird that these uh, you know older titles would have that in there. But this remake, which is the latest game, you know, doesn't have stuff like that. So, yeah, it's a little bit curious. Who knows? Maybe uh, you'll get the opportunity to interview them sometime and get the scoop. <laughs> I'm sure I won't. <laughs> <laughs> but with all that said, you know, in spite of these complaints I have, in spite of the, you know, repetitive nature of, uh, you know, constant catching and flicking and uh, my other complaints, I actually am enjoying the game definitely more than I thought I would. I can think of, you know, several ways that I've just named in which it could be better, but what's here is not bad. After I played it at E3, I kind of canceled my pre-order, but after playing it for a few hours now, I definitely think I might end up purchasing it after all. It is certainly uh, better than I expected. Overall, you know, still kind of in the middle of the road, but I ended up liking it a whole lot more than I thought I would. Out of curiosity, not having played it myself, uh... Is there anything you would want them to keep going into the next mainline Pokemon game? Well, I suppose the main thing is the visuals. The game does look pretty darn great, you know, overall. I think they could still take it, you know, another step further, but I think they're definitely on the right track when it comes to the graphics. This is the first time we've had a Pokemon RPG that's console quality in just about forever. So I really like the way they're going in that direction, and I hope it just gets better and prettier from here on out. All right, good to know. Well, I hope they'll... Uh move onward and upwards with the next console and the next mainline one. They're about one in the same now, aren't they? Yes, indeed. And it's supposed to be coming next year. Something to look forward to. Awesome. Now, that's mostly what I've been playing recently, but there's another new release that I've been very curious about, and David, I believe that you have had a chance to try this one out, and I'm talking about Arcade Archives Urban Champion, downloadable on Switch. That is correct. Uh, I was actually just playing it earlier, in fact. All right. You know, this is the arcade version of the classic one-on-one fighting game from Nintendo. I have always enjoyed describing it as two guys fight in the street, the loser falls in a sewer, the winner does a funny dance. (laughs) Uh, That seems about accurate, yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised you're using the term classic, though. It's like... (laughs) Uh, I, I thought, like, I mean, I, I could see myself referring to it as that, and that's when I get odd looks from everyone else, but... <laughs> well, maybe I should just refer to it as old. No, I'm not the biggest fan of Urban Champion, but I would like to hear about what you think of this Arcade Archives version and how it compares to the NES version people are more familiar with. Uh, yeah, I was surprised when this came out. I hadn't heard anything about it beforehand, so it was a pleasant surprise for me because, uh... Urban Champion is kind of a, 
I'm not, I'm not going to call it a guilty pleasure because I feel no guilt about it at all whatsoever. <laughs> you should. But I'll call it a sentimental favorite because it was one of the first NES games I remember seeing. And it's just got certain charms to it that I tend to appreciate. Mm-hmm. That said, I knew there was a arcade version. I didn't know that it was different from the NES version. And uh, that's like what we're seeing here. I was honestly a little bit surprised because... It was more different than I thought. Not tremendously so. Not burn your NES copy and download the Switch version. I'm going to burn my NES copy anyway. I've already burned plenty of them. I was going to say, yeah, probably. (laughs) But no, there's some neat touches that I appreciate here. One is that the uh, battle music is different here. I don't even think it's in the NES version. And they do a lot more with color in this version. Hmm. That is to say, like, one thing I like about the game is it takes place at night generally on the NES. That's true. In the 3D Classics remake. Basically here you actually do have like a kind of a dynamic, not exactly dynamic, but about every third battle or so, like every time you have the decisive match, because it's basically the best, like, you know, I think of... uh, you have to knock the guy like you know off the edge three times. The third time is down a manhole, mm-hmm. and the third battle, the skyline will change color. So there's like a sunset, there's a pitch black night as opposed to just the kind of blue night on the NES, stuff like that. Okay. Like I said, I love a good day night cycle, so that appeals to me uh, as well. Okay. Also, the characters, the opponents you face, are more colorful. Uh, so to speak. There's a lot more variety in colors there. There was one guy who looked really weird. Like He had this like dark skin and just this like white, white hair. And I think because of the way the uh, palette... You're punching the... out an old guy? I might be. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's like one of those anime Sephiroth deals. I don't know. I can't keep track. Like Urian from uh, Street Fighter 3. Yeah. But in any case, he had this like white hair, but because of the way everything of a certain color switches, I think it was like his mouth and like uh, the pupils of his eyes were also white and like other things were kind of switched around a bit is uh, pretty wild. But huh, interesting. Uh, yeah. And this being the uh, arcade archives version, there's a few extra modes that are not in the uh, other versions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's uh, like a score attack mode, there's the basic arcade mode, and there's uh, what they call the caravan mode, which is Uh, in uh, each of the arcade archives where you try to get the highest score you can within uh, five minutes, I think it is. Okay. I've only played the uh, basic mode so far, and hey, 66th best in the world, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right, congratulations. As far as the gameplay goes, is it basically identical to the NES version? Yeah, pretty much. I was looking at the controls and I thought maybe there was like kind of a quick switch, like, you know, to like one button would do a high punch and the other would do a low punch uh, kind Mm -hmm. of deal. It doesn't actually map out like that at all. So, yeah, it plays pretty much just like the uh, NES version. I think the uh, 3D Classics version is a little more responsive than either this or the NES version, as I recall. But other than that, you know, basically the same kind of thing going on. Okay. So. What would an Urban Champion fan think of this game, and what would a normal human think of this game? (laughs) An Urban Champion fan, speaking as one, would probably think it's a good addition to the library. It spices things up in a few small but appreciated ways. Okay. A normal person... One might be able to appreciate it from like a historical perspective because it pre- it's like mm-hmm. a fighting game that predates Street Fighter, the king of the right. fighting game. 
and it even has elements from Super Smash Brothers in a way. Like, basically, your objective is effectively knocking your opponent off the side of the screen or, like, you know, down the manhole in a similar way as in Smash Brothers. So it's kind of interesting to look at it as, like, an early evolutionary step towards those kinds of games. Otherwise, just, you know, Joe Gamer, unless, like, you're into, like, you know, quick pick-up-and-play put it down and come back to it who knows when kind of stuff maybe not so much okay like like i said for me it's a sentimental favorite it just kind of hits like several notes that i just happen to like a lot of little touches like the police car and the nighttime setting and the little i like the kind of main street kind of uh backdrop kind of thing that's going on reminds you when people would drop flower pots on your head as a kid yeah precisely Mm -hmm. just like that but um Yeah, incidentally, speaking of Super Smash Brothers, uh, I mean, Ultimate is looking so good, but I wish they'd added an Urban Champion stage for the reasons I've already described. It would be a perfect Smash Brothers stage. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds to me like this is more of a, a historical curiosity than anything else, but uh, it's uh, certainly, uh, I guess, good to see it out there as an option. Yeah, basically. I mean, I'm happy to have it. <laughs> I'm that guy that everybody asks, like, you know, who keeps buying this? I am the guy. okay well why don't we move along from these game impressions and discuss a little bit of news first up in the news this week i stumbled across a title that i had never really paid attention to before but i saw a trailer a few days ago it is on its way to switch and it looks amazing the game is called blazing chrome it's supposed to be out sometime next year and it looks absolutely awesome As best I can tell, it is a spiritual successor to Contra. It looks a little bit more like a Genesis game than a Super NES game. I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing. What's more important than the graphics, though, is the action. It just looks crazy. Lots of run and gun, jumping, shooting, controlling mech suits, riding speeder bikes, hanging from rails, fighting big old sandworms and aliens and killer bugs and robots with these ball and chains for arms. You have multiple weapons like lasers and missiles and melee attacks for close range in addition to the traditional shooting action. Of course, it has two-player co-op and there are even faux 3D into the screen stages, which, you know, was another Contra staple. And, you know, I'm just blown away. It looks like a totally intense, adrenaline-fueled great time. David, have you had a chance to check this out? And if so, what do you think? This is the first I've ever heard of it, and you sold me on it at Contra. <laughs> okay. Yeah, personally, I can't wait to play it. There are trailers out on YouTube. It looks amazing. Everyone, check it out. And speaking of games on the Switch, I am very much looking forward to. The folks at Sega have finally given a release date for Sega Ages Fantasy Star in the West. It is coming out on December 13th. I am eager to check that out, believe it or not. Uh, Well, I am as well, and I've never had a chance to play the original Fantasy Star very much. I think I played it just a little tiny bit when the Fantasy Star Collection came out on Game Boy Advance. But for the most part, I am a newbie to the original Fantasy Star, and this time I am definitely going to sink some time into it and check it out. I'm not a huge RPG person because I hate grinding and stuff and (laughs) other things that just kind of make the experience more tedious. Yeah. From what I understand, M2 has 
added stuff to this to kind of alleviate those issues, such yeah, as... Yeah, supposedly there's an easy mode. Yeah, I think it kind of, like, eases the experience grind, and there's also a uh, map system that makes the uh, dungeons, if I'm using the correct terminology. Yeah, I believe that's true. You, know, you used to have to use graph paper to find your way through, but now there actually does appear to be a built-in system for that, yep. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been fascinated by the Fantasy Star setting and stuff going on there, but deterred by what I've heard about the games and my own just kind of... Again, like, usually if I play an RPG, like Mario or Mega Man or somebody is involved, but, you know, now it sounds like maybe someone like me can actually get into this. And, I mean, Fantasy Star is a Sega classic. I know that much. Right. So I'm eager to finally be able to check it out and hopefully enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's one I wanted to try for ages, uh, pun intended, and uh, can't wait to give this one a spin. Another bit of news that is right up my alley is that they have announced a special bundle in Japan that includes a whopping 63 Amiibo. Amiibo! Yes, this is a special bundle that will be available through Amazon Japan that includes 63 Smash Brothers Amiibo in a single, presumably massive collector's box. It also includes a poster. It's limited to a mere 50 units and will go on sale on December 7th. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. And, you know, kind of awesome. Presumably will be ridiculously hard to get and ridiculously expensive as well. I mean, even buying those individually would probably cost, you know, like close to $800 or something like that. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I wonder if there's any sort of I mean, it's going to be expensive as all get out, but I wonder if there's going to be any sort of discount involved because it's, you know, say a singular package or something. Or, of course, since it's limited edition, that'll probably make it cost more. What does the packaging, have they shown the packaging for this, what it looks like? All I've seen is the outer box, and it just looks like, you know, a big black box with some uh, smash markings on it. So I don't really know how it's going to be once you open it up. You know, as a huge Amiibo fan, I'm like, well, this is pretty darn cool. But I'm also glad that it's not anything that I would really need to get because I already have all those Amiibo, fortunately. Because, like I said, I'm sure this is going to be impossible to find. I'll probably break the bank. And uh, while it is very neat, I'm glad I don't have to, like, try to find some way to buy it because that would probably drive me insane. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm the the limits the price the fact it's in japan only all that kind of stuff it's like well <laughs> I, I guess i'm out but at the same time i mean i just kind of have to wonder it's like it, were those aside like i like to display my amiibo i generally keep them in the package because it's just kind of easier to dust that way uh and i'm just wondering how displayable these are or if you want to take one out like do they have like the kind of fancy collector type casing where you can take it out and put it back in or is it like i'm basically be ripping a blister card i have so many questions and given that i'll probably never own one i'm probably okay if they never get answered but nonetheless i'm curious yeah i don't have any answers for you all i can say is for people who want to get their hands on this good luck good luck Now, something that has been much easier to obtain, but, you know, is almost just as cool, is the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Creating a Champion art book, which just came out a couple of days ago as we record this. I picked up this book as soon as I could. It is huge. It is heavy. It is 400 plus pages and could easily kill a small child if you dropped it on them. 
It is also chock full of beautiful illustrations, art of the main characters, side characters, minor NPCs, enemies, creatures, weapons, outfits, divine beasts, environments, you name it. Uh, so far, I've flipped through about the first hundred pages or so, and I am very, very impressed. Uh, there are some amazing images in here. Lots of them I've never even seen before, including magazine covers in Japan and North America. In particular, I'm really enjoying this uh, Famitsu cover of Classic Link passing his sword over to Breath of the Wild Link. There's just tons of cool stuff in here. I saw on Twitter earlier there was another image that caught your eye as well. <laughs> yeah, there is uh, lots of concept stuff, including uh, Totally Naked Link with uh, <laughs> without any of his Link parts. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, some of the art is uh, glorious, some of it is ridiculous. Even more ridiculous than that Naked Link is that modern biker Link, which is probably the worst thing I've ever laid eyes on. <laughs> yeah, I don't have my copy yet, but I'm uh, looking forward to checking it out once it gets here. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff to enjoy in here. In addition to all the artwork, it has lots of background info and lore, including a historical timeline detailing what happened leading up to the events in this iteration of Hyrule. Plus, there are comments from the artists, as well as full-page comments from the key creators, including Anuma. I certainly haven't read everything yet, but so far I am blown away by almost every single page. I think... I can probably go ahead and say it is one of the best gaming art books yet. And I hear the fact-checking in it is absolutely amazing, too. Ah, without a doubt, without a doubt. There's one other cool-looking piece of video game merchandise I wanted to make mention of this episode also, and that would be... OBJECTION! Yes, exactly. That would be the Phoenix Wright statue from First Four Figures. Apparently, this thing was originally teased back in 2014, and now it is finally about to happen. It is a full-body statue of Phoenix from the fifth Ace Attorney game, I believe, with his arm outstretched and his finger pointing right at his opponent. Uh, they haven't really announced all the details of this statue yet, but the pre-orders are coming on November 23rd. Judging by previous first four figures releases, this thing will probably be crazy expensive, like in the $400 range or something. But, you know, as a big Ace Attorney fan, boy, it sure would be great if I could get my hands on this thing. Or at least my pointer finger on this thing. Hold it! <laughs> You're telling me that it's taken them four years to get this thing out? Apparently, apparently. I'm not exactly sure why, probably approvals and things like that. But, again, you know, as a fan of the series, I'm just glad it's finally happening. I, I do have a question, though. I haven't gotten a chance to see this myself. Now, is it more like kind of a say, from the waist-up thing from behind the uh, court bench, or is it like a full-figure statue? Like, what are we looking at here? It is a full-figure statue. is full-body, from head to toe, no bench or anything like that. You know, I guess, you know, the one saving grace for me is that I did get the Japanese special edition of the game, which came with a very similarly posed figurine of Phoenix. So uh, I guess I won't feel too bad if I'm not able to get my hands on this one. Take that, first four figures. Yes, exactly. And with that, we have taken care of the news for this week, so I do believe it is time to take an intermission, but before we do that, we are going to Anger the Ox. That's right, this is where we normally hassle the Hoff, but Pete's not here to do it, so this time we have something extra special lined up. We are going to Anger the Ox. I have a special question for you, David. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. All right, then. Video game 
Professor Oxford. I've got three games for you. We are playing a version of Kiss, Mary, Kill. I know it doesn't make sense because they're video games. I know you can't really marry or kiss a video game. Well, I guess you could kiss a video game. You probably can't kill one or marry one. The three games, Urban Champion, Super Mario Brothers 2, and Mega Man 3. Which one do you pick for which? Okay, wow. Uh, I'm used to the third option being something different, but um, let's see. So it was Kiss, Marry, and Kill, right? Yep. I know it's tough, but that's how it goes in a situation like this. Wow, that is... Well, that's, a, that's a great question. I guess on Kill, I would probably have to go with... I'd probably have to go with Urban Champion. Don't get me wrong, I love that game. Uh-huh. But of the three listed, it's... Like I said, it's a sentimental favorite. Uh, but so are the other two, if I'm being honest. And while they're all sentimental favorites, the other two have a lot more behind them. So... Sorry, Urban Champion. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see. Kiss and Mary, was it? Yes. I'm probably going to go Kiss on Mega Man 3. Really good game, and I do love it a lot. At the same time, it I, I love it despite the fact that it is technically unfinished, but it's got those blemishes here and there that just kind of... You know, so, sometimes... I mean, I guess Mega Man 2 has that too, but... I know that's not on the list, but I, I, guess, I guess the better justification is just to say Super Mario Brothers 2 is, I don't know, that game's like really special to me and it's really good, and it was just the game that like, that was the big release when I got into gaming. There was like mm-hmm. stuff like Super Mario Brothers and stuff that was already out, but this was the first hype release, and it's like, you know, there's just something about the build to it. And I, I feel like it came through, and it's just, it's been a long-lasting favorite of mine ever since, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know, and I guess as varied as Mega Man 3 is with, like, all the weapons you can use, the fact is that functionally a lot of them, like, are pretty limited in their, uh, practicality a lot of the time, uh, whereas Mario 2, you probably have a little more variety going on between the different characters, Sure, they all play similar, but they've got the different traits, and that can make things interesting as you go along. So, yeah, kill Urban Champion, uh, kiss Mega Man 3, and uh, marry Super Mario 2, is it? Yep. So that's the one to form the long-term relationship with Super Mario Bros. 2. All right. Well, that seems like a fair assessment to me. Uh, thank you for participating. Yeah. Thank you for the surprise quiz. <laughs> And with that taken care of, we will now take an intermission, and when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the 2018 Gamers Non-Game Gift Guide. We'll be right back. 
All right, we are back and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the 2018 Gamers Non-Game Gift Guide. And by that, we mean suggestions for gifts you could give out during the holidays that aren't exactly video games themselves, but are game-related. You know, we figure if you are listening to this podcast, you already know about the latest games available for the Switch or for other video game systems out there. You already know that there are new Amiibo out there and things like that. So we are going just a little bit beyond that to choose some of our favorite game-related items that uh, you might also find to be good gifts for yourself or your loved ones. That's right. We've each picked out five items. We are going to alternate back and forth with our suggestions. Sort of like a holiday version of Pong. Yes, exactly. And uh, if it's okay with you, I think I will kick things off to get things started. Be my guest, host. All right. Well, the first things I would suggest on my list are, from Dark Horse Publishing, their recently released Nintendo encyclopedias for The Legend of Zelda and the Super Mario series. Both of these books were released in the last year, and both of them are chock full of all kinds of information on your favorite game series. There's everything you'd want to know about enemies and levels and items and all kinds of good stuff. They are both packed with artwork as well. And if you are a fan of Zelda or a fan of Mario, or more importantly, if your loved ones are, you know, these are excellent, excellent gifts. Now, the Zelda uh, book, that's not the Breath of the Wild one we were just talking about earlier, right? No, I'm talking about the Legend of Zelda encyclopedia. I mean, don't get me wrong, the Breath of the Wild one I was just talking about is also fantastic and you know, belongs on this list as well. But uh, since we already covered that earlier in the show, I thought I would focus on uh, the Mario and Zelda encyclopedias instead. This Zelda encyclopedia actually does not include Breath of the Wild. It includes every other game up to Breath of the Wild, but it actually works very well as a companion piece since it does not include that game itself. Yeah, um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have this one, but I've seen it. This is the one where they released, I don't know if uh, it's a special version or not, but it looks like the NES gold cartridge, and it even has the old-style NES slipcover, does it not? Yeah, that is the special edition of the book. I think that one probably costs about twice as much as the regular edition. But yes, that is certainly an option that you can get people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's definitely the one I would want, but you know, your mileage may vary. Either one would make a great gift for a Zelda fan, I have no doubt. Yeah, totally. The MSRP for the regular editions on these is about $40.00. You can pick them up for around 25 or so on Amazon. You can expect to pay a little bit more for the special editions. There's also a special edition of the Mario book as well. But uh, yeah, these things are really, really nice books. You know, maybe they aren't 100% perfect. I think I found a couple of errors in each one. But, you know, they are, you know, 98% excellent. So I definitely recommend them for fans of the series. And I just want to point out for the Mario Encyclopedia... Technically speaking, there are four special versions. Yeah, that's true. They come in a special uh, question block uh, slipcase, mm -hmm. and each one features a different item on the cover. There's the Super Mushroom, the Fire Flower, the Superstar, and the 1-Up Mushroom. Yes. And the one you get is just like when you hit a block. It's a mystery. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is true. Good for pointing that out. My pleasure. So, what's on your list? Well... Something that I think is a fun thing that is coming from the oft-reviled company known as Funko, known for the uh, notorious yes. pop figures. 
But yes. I am not speaking of the pop figures today, which encompass pretty much everything in pop culture, just about. <laughs> that uh, is true. Those, those are again, I'm not a fan myself. <laughs> but no, they've uh, been making some actual action figures, like without the pop style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the newest ones that are coming out in December are various versions of Mega Man as well as yes. Dr. Wily. Yeah, I'm especially looking forward to him. Good Dr. Wily figures are hard to come by. The uh, Mega Man versions, let's see, there's like an original version, there's Thunderbeam, a Leaf Shield, and I believe Atomic Fire, which I think is exclusive to GameStop, is it? Oh, I thought it was a chase figure where they said it was only available in like one out of every six cases or something like that. Either way, it's going to be hard to get. Oh, per- yeah, per- perhaps that was the case. But, um, the case, ha ha ha, I see what you did there. But um. But yeah, I mean, Funko figures, they're sold like freaking everywhere. They usually run about nine ninety nine, maybe a few bucks mm-hmm. more for this kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I've seen them selling for. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen them everywhere from like EB Games and GameStop to uh, Hot Topic. But places that carry Funko stuff are good places to check. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, in addition to the Mega Man ones, this is kind of tangentially related. But the original release of the Disney Afternoon games came out on Nintendo platforms from capcom as well this is true yep and funko is also doing a disney afternoon line of figures that blow away the stuff that playmates was making back in the like early 90s uh they're doing ducktales they're doing chippendale rescue rangers they're doing tailspin and they're doing darkwing duck i've got the darkwing duck one myself and it looks great comes with the gas gun and it just looks so much better than the one i had when i was a kid let's see i think the first wave also had scrooge with like a cane and money bag blue from tailspin and uh, i think chip and dale come as a set i could be mistaken or maybe there was two of them okay there's also a chase figure of uh nega duck but yeah the second wave is actually already out now it's got gizmo duck who was in the ducktales game yep i remember launchpad is with darkwing duck he's uh, also in the nes game huh. they've got gadget and of all characters they put louie for tailspin but can't win them all i guess <laughs> okay those definitely sound good for disney fans and capcom fans and nes fans alike yeah i mean darkwing duck is almost like an honorary Mega Man game <laughs> all things considered <laughs> so like having the funko darkwing duck next year funko Mega Man, it's uh it'll be a neat little team on your shelf indeed it is well i also have some Mega Man toys on my suggestion list. These are somewhat different than the representations in the Funko toys. These are Mega Man pixel toys from Jack's Pacific. And so it's these you know, very pixely representations of Mega Man and his enemies in various forms. And you can pick them up in two packs or single packs. And the ones that I've seen available are regular Mega Man versus Cut Man. Rolling Cutter Mega Man versus Elec Man, Ice Slasher Mega Man versus Fireman, and Hyperbomb Mega Man versus Gutsman. Most of those are also available in the uh, $5 single packs. The two packs cost 10 bucks. Those two packs sound like a very expensive guide to how to beat the original game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't say that uh, $10 is too bad for a couple of cool-looking figures. And they actually, surprisingly enough, actually have limited articulation. Like, you know, the arms you can move up and down. Like, I don't know why you'd want to have Mega Man's buster arm pointing at the floor, but you can do that. And they also have interchangeable accessories. Like, you can take Cutman's blade and either put it in his hand or you can put it on his head. Oh, that's pretty cool. 
I would say that for a Mega Man fan, getting something like this for, uh, you know, 10 bucks or less, uh, not a bad way to go at all. I was kind of surprised. I didn't really know these were out. And I stumbled upon the whole set at GameStop and uh, picked them up as soon as I could. I like them. Yeah, for toys, uh, that's a pretty good price. I'm just saying that uh, find out to use Roll and Cutter against Lechman. <laughs> I like the accuracy, but th- that tip's not quite worth 10 bucks. But no, <laughs> as, as toys go, yeah, that's a, that's a really good price, actually. How big are these? Yeah, not very big at all. They're only about, you know, two or three inches tall. Oh, also, I should mention that, you know, these packages for the two packs also have a background from, you know, the boss that you're fighting. So, you know, you add that in and you really get a, you know, really cool little uh, pixel art scene from the games. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jack Specific, they've actually been doing these kinds of figures for a while with Nintendo properties like Link and Mario, right? So you could kind of have yes. uh, your own kind of 8-bit Smash Brothers uh, display going on your shelf if you really wanted to, huh? Yes, this is completely true. Yeah, they've been doing them for a whole bunch of characters. Mega Man just happens to be one of the latest. Yeah, they're all pretty cool. Awesome. So what else you got? More figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these ones. You said you like Amiibo, right? Oh, I definitely do. Well, these are sort of like Amiibo. They're called Totaku figures. And oh, yes, I have a couple of those, too. They're basically only at GameStop and EB Games. Some people think that it's like a uh, Sony thing. That is not the case. It's a uh, ThinkGeek. They go for $9.99 US dollars each, a little bit more up here in Canada, I'm afraid. They're like basically like Amiibo, except they don't interact with games, so... That's right. I think there might be some savings there, I'm not sure. Yeah, they're a few bucks cheaper than Amiibo. Yeah, and they cover a wide range of different gaming properties. Mm-hmm. The ones that I have my eyes on and are uh, relevant for Nintendo fans... There's uh, classic Sonic, Knuckles, and Tails. Yes. There's one for Conker's Bad Fur Day. There's Banjo-Kazooie. Well, they're supposed to be. Banjo and uh, Conker don't seem to be out yet. I've been trying to track those down, but I haven't had any luck. But yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to those myself. And of course, with their releases on the Nintendo 64, they are relevant. Yep. And I know some people are hoping they'll be the DLC for uh, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, but only time will tell there. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. Of course, if they are, that means there would probably be official Amiibo for them, too, but I digress. There's also Crash Bandicoot, Spyro the Dragon, there's Tomb Raider, there's Lemmings, there's Street Fighter, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Tekken, and that's just the ones like that have had games on Nintendo consoles in the past. Uh, there's more beyond that, but they're neat little figures. They, they can help round things out. Like the uh, Sonic Amiibo is modern Sonic. Not only do you get classic Sonic, but you also get Knuckles and Tails here. So you can have your own kind of generations or forces team up with classic Sonic and modern Sonic on your shelf or uh, have the whole group together with Tails and Knuckles. However you want to do it. It's a little bit of uh, added options. Yeah, I recently picked up that classic Sonic Totaku. And while, you know, the paint apps weren't quite as nice as they are with Amiibo, it was still really cool to have. It's really nice to have the collection. And yes, I can indeed have him hang out with his modern counterpart. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a cool thing to have. I like him. The paint job's not too bad, is it? No, I wouldn't say it's bad. Just, uh, you know, you can tell it's not quite up to the Amiibo standard. Oh, that's fair enough. I mean, Nintendo does some pretty high-quality stuff. Okay, well... Since we keep on talking about uh, you know action figures and collectibles, I guess that will be my next pick as well. This one, though, it's a little more pricey, a little bit higher end, and my choice would be the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild Link 
Nendoroid. Now, if you're not familiar with Nendoroids, they are sort of uh, chibified versions of uh, all kinds of characters, and they've done them for main Nintendo characters in the past. They've done them for other versions of Link. They've done them for Mario as well. But you know, this one that caught my eye is from Breath of the Wild, and there's a standalone version of Link, but the one I'm talking about is this deluxe package that includes not only a figurine of Link, but includes tons of accessories. It includes a hood, a sword, a bow, a club, an axe, a shield, the Sheikah Slate, a piece of meat, as well as Epona for him to ride on. Wow. Yeah, there is lots of stuff there. And, uh, you know, the quality is great on these things. Dendoroids are definitely very well made. And you can, you know, pose them. You can display them with all these different accessories. Lots of cool stuff there. You do end up paying for it, though. They aren't cheap. The price I usually see is around $60 from someplace like BigBadToyStore.com. But I have seen it for as low as $45 on Amazon. That's actually pretty good for that kind of uh, figure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does seem kind of expensive from one perspective, but when you consider everything you get and, uh, you know, all of the you know, quality that goes into this sort of thing, yeah, it's it's really uh, not that bad overall. I don't own any Nendoroids myself. I've had my eye on a few, make no mistake, but usually the pieces are painted individually. It's not like buying some Playmates, like, you know, Ninja Turtle, where, like, you know, the sword is molded all in brown or something, right? They're, like, fully painted, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you definitely get what you pay for. Incidentally, um, I'm wondering how Breath of the Wild Link would look in the uh, Mega Man X ride armor or the uh, Kirby Planet Robobot armor. <laughs> well, I couldn't really tell you, but, uh, you know, I'm sure it wouldn't be that hard to find out. But speaking of, you know, Breath of the Wild, there is also a Nendoroid of those uh, creepy, scary guardians as well. So if you uh, want to get a bad guy from that series to uh, push your Link around, that is also an option. And that's all the more reason to get the ride armor. <laughs> yes, keep him safe. All right, then. Moving on. What's your next pick? Well, my next pick is also related to Sonic. The last one was kind of tangentially, but this one is all hog all the time. And I'm talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, Volume 1, Fallout, from IDW Publishing. Oh, okay. Earlier this year, IDW, they launched their new Sonic the Hedgehog comic after Archie lost the license or whatever happened there. That's right. They went for like, you know, 290-something issues, and then uh, they no longer had it. IDW picked it up, sort of did a reboot, and uh, yeah, it's been going on for uh, about half a year or so now. Man, coming so close to that 300 mark is painful. <laughs> yeah, what can you do, though? But it's a new start. It's a fresh start. You don't have to have read any of the Sonic comics before. Technically, you don't even have to have played the games. But, I mean, there are certain benefits that come from that. It basically picks up after the most recent entry, Sonic Forces, and kind of gets you knowing everybody again. It's an all-new story arc. The uh, individual issues have gone a bit further, but the first trade came out back in August. It collects the first four issues. Okay. And basically, you could probably find it comic book shops where better books are sold, Amazon probably. I know you can buy it digitally on Comixology, or you can buy digital or buy the print version from IDW themselves at idwpublishing.com. If you go digital, it's like $7.99. If you go for the print version, that's $15.99. So mm -hmm. either way, you've got an option. 
basically continuity wise story wise that kind of thing it's divorced from the archie series that came before it right but the same writer who helped bring that series so close to 300 issues which is already record-breaking even without reaching the 300 uh ian flynn he is still writing and many of the same artistic talents who uh really raised the standard of that book at archie are now working with idw to produce this book i'm not gonna necessarily say it's like all the best of the uh archie comics because they did have quite a world going there and it's unfortunate that it's uh no longer going on but a lot of the people who helped make it great are helping make this great and it's definitely worth a look yeah i can definitely vouch for this one as well you know i never really ever got into the archie stuff but i did pick this one up when it first came out the first few issues are a bit of a slow burn but it's gotten really good and i would say that this volume one trade paperback is an ideal way to get into the series so that's my third pick hoff what have you got for us next well let's go from using your eyes to using your ears my next suggestion would be to pick up an excellent classic-style video game soundtrack. And the one that I've been enjoying recently is an import from Japan, Double Dragon Sound Collection, Volume 1. Now, for my money, the Double Dragon series has some of the best classic game music ever made. I mean, back in the day when Double Dragon first came out on the NES, like that, alongside Ninja Gaiden, were probably you know two of my all-time favorite soundtracks ever. And this CD, you know, lets you you know listen to all that music at your leisure in its classic original form. This has you know the full NES soundtracks for Double Dragon One, Double Dragon Two, and Double Dragon Three, as well as the soundtrack to the much more recent Double Dragon Four, which was available on Switch as well as other systems. And, you know, I kind of have a lot of issues with Double Dragon 4, but the music is not one of them. The music is excellent, as is that classic NES music, especially from Double Dragon 1. I love listening to this in my car. I think it is excellent, and it is certainly one that I would suggest picking up. Uh, you can grab it for around, you know, $30 to import the CD. Personally, I got mine from cdjapan.co.jp. Now, the notes here say that it's volume one, so are there other volumes out, or is it just the one for now? There is just one volume right now. I certainly hope there's going to be a volume two, because I would love to also get CDs containing the arcade Double Dragon music, as well as the tunes from Super Double Dragon, or Return of Double Dragon, as it was known in Japan. But uh, so far, there has not been any announcement on that front, but I'm certainly crossing my fingers. And this is just the chiptunes, right? It's not covers or remixes or anything? Nope, this is just the original soundtracks in their original glory. Awesome. Now, it's a funny thing that you bring up a Double Dragon soundtrack, because my next contribution to this list was also going to be a soundtrack. All right. Actually, the ones that I was going to refer to here was the Data Discs. They do oh, yes. video game soundtracks on vinyl, mm -hmm. which is kind of a uh, trendy thing now, I believe. Yes, so it is. Most of their output has been Sega games. It's not exclusively Sega, but they've got a lot. All three Streets of Rage, Shinmu, Shinobi 3, Super Hang-On, OutRun, Revenge of Shinobi, Panzer Dragoon, Golden Axe 1 and 2, and on and on. Uh, I got my wife an Altered Beast one when it came out. Nice. Yeah, there's some other stuff, including uh, Metal Slug and... 
Okami, which is really expensive. That one's like $64.99, and that's in pounds because they're located over in United Kingdom. But the covers, a lot, if not all of them, use like box art, often Japanese box art. Personally speaking, there is for $24.99, again, pounds. Most of them go for like $19.99 or $24.99. I really like the Streets of Rage 3 cover. I would love to get that, maybe frame that, put it on my wall or something, because I think that's something you can do with album covers now. <laughs> sure, why not? Uh, it's, it's really nice art to have around uh, one way or the other, and of course, great music. Streets of Rage 3 may not be a favorite in the uh, series, but <laughs> I do love that uh, cover there. The 1999 uh, translates to approximately 25.54 US dollars. Okay. And the 64.99 for Okami translates to 83.04, so that one's a bit pricey. Wow. And uh, certain ones they do have like different types of uh, discs if you plan to actually like you know open and play them. Like the Altered Beast one that I got for my wife, for example. You can get a uh, like a regular black vinyl that has like an orange label. There's a full orange version. And there's also, like, certain special ones. Like, the one I got my wife is a clear with an orange splatter design on it that's a limited edition. So if a limited edition is still available, a lot of those have them. It's just an overall neat gift, like, you know, that can be practical or decorative or, you know, however you want to do it. But it's something I think any fan of a given game would enjoy receiving. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a couple of those myself. I don't even own a way to play them, but just as collector's pieces, I said, yes, I have to pick up a couple of these things just because they're uh, so cool to own. And in some cases, like the Altered Beast one, and I forgot about this, it also comes with like a, a poster inside as well. So mm-hmm. even more, uh, you know, use there. It says fold out poster of the original painting used for the game's box art. So even if you don't frame the album itself, you know, some of these will come with something that you can frame. Yeah, totally. And uh, again, for people who aren't familiar, what is the URL that you would go to if you wanted to pick one of these up? Oh, yeah, it's uh, data-discs.com. All right, excellent. I guess we are ready for my last pick. And, you know, like they say, rules are made to be broken. This is supposed to be the non-game buyer's guide. But, you know, these are actually games. They're just not games you would ever get for your Switch or uh, you know other current systems for the most part, because I'm talking about arcade games. You know, that was always the dream when, you know, us uh, older gamers were growing up. We want to have arcade perfection in our homes. And now, thanks to Arcade 1UP, you can actually get sort of a miniature arcade machine right in your home. It's not quite as big as a regular arcade machine, but it's big enough that you can have that arcade experience right there in your living room or whatever. You know, you do have to pay for this privilege. They're not super cheap or anything. They come in at around $350 per machine, but it does allow you to have some of these arcade classics in your home at a you know somewhat reasonable price in an approximation to those old arcade games. And uh, I would say these are pretty darn cool. Indeed. Just listening to you talk about them, though, it reminds me of the old Tiger handheld commercials where they promised, like, you know, arcade action <laughs> in your palm of your hand, and they didn't really quite live up to that kind of promise. But uh, these, for the most part, do. They are genuine arcade machines. Uh, a little on the shorter side than the full-size... Right, that's true. ...full-size cabinets we were used to back in the day. Yep. Probably great for kids, but... If you're on the taller side and you're worried about that, they do sell like kind of a booster thing for, I think it was like $80 that basically elevates it a couple of feet and makes it more full size. 
Yes, there is that, or you can just sit on a small stool as you play. But yeah, there are several of these machines out there that you can purchase in a variety of ways. I've seen them at GameStop. I think you can order them online, like even at Target. But yeah, there are multiple machines that include a different assortment of games. Probably the premier one is the Street Fighter version that includes Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, Super Street Fighter 2, and Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. There's also an Atari one that includes Asteroid, Tempest, Major Havoc, and Lunar Lander. And a couple of the other ones that are out there are a machine containing Gauntlet, Rampage, Joust, and Defender, and one that I think might be exclusive to Walmart that has Centipede, Crystal Castles, Missile Command, and Millipede. The one that I'm actually most excited about, though, is not out yet. It comes out sometime next year. It includes Final Fight, Ghosts and Goblins, 1944, and Strider. That's definitely the one I would pick up if I had my choice. To tell you the truth, I already have an actual full-sized arcade machine of the Simpsons arcade game. It is a huge pain in the butt to move around, to do anything with. So getting something that's a little smaller, a little more reasonable, certainly has a lot of appeal to me. It's kind of funny that you mention the uh, Street Fighter being the premier one, odd on the heels of the uh, Street Fighter 30th anniversary that just came out. Yeah. The one that's really had my eye, because I really love Midway games, is the Gauntlet and uh, Rampage and the one with that, Defender. The downside of that one is I heard that they basically changed the ROM somehow to not credit Atari in the version of Gauntlet they use, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I, I'm not going to like get on a soapbox or anything for that. But the problem is I've heard that in doing so, it seems they may have caused some sort of glitch or bugginess in that version of Gauntlet. Oof, that kills me because I, I love Gauntlet. Yeah, me too. And it's just like, you might want to just kind of keep tabs if that's the one you're interested in, like check online in case that one's been updated or anything. Because, yeah, I mean, you don't want to gift a uh, broken game there. (laughs) No, definitely not. Well, certainly something to keep in mind. Yeah, perhaps it's best to uh, stick to the other machines for now until they uh, issue a uh, corrected version of that. Regardless, you know, having that arcade experience at home, pretty darn cool in my opinion. I think so, too. Uh, One other thing to point out is you also construct the cabinets uh, themselves. It's kind of like building Ikea furniture, from what I understand. (laughs) Right. And uh, so, yeah, some assembly required, but also if you're worried about, like, you know, moving a giant completed cabinet into your home or trying to figure out how it fits through the door, that's not an issue. That's not an issue. Exactly. So, what is your final suggestion for the Buyer's Guide? (laughs) My final suggestion is a most unique object, but one that many homes have, and if a home does not have it, it definitely should. It is a toaster. A toaster? What kind of toaster could be on this list? Not just any toaster, it's a Sonic the Hedgehog toaster. Oh my. So it toasts your bread really fast? I'm not sure about the speed, but it does leave a uh, scorched, uh, burned-in imprint of Sonic the Hedgehog's head on your toast. Uh Aha, okay. Well, who wouldn't want that? I sure want it, and apparently 1,000 other people at least do, because that's how many people had to uh, commit to buying one uh, as they crowdsourced this uh, several months ago before going into production. Uh Aha. And yeah, while those people are enjoying their uh, Sonic Toast now, you can have one of your own by going to shop.sega.com and dropping forty six ninety five for your very own Sonic Toaster. All right. I know I want one. Yeah, that's not half bad. And you get a delicious uh, flavor of hedgehog with every bite, right? 
<laughs> well, I was going to say that uh, all you really need is some uh, Tails Butter or Knuckles Grape Jelly to, uh, you know, be all set, but, uh, yeah. Hmm, so a knuckle sandwich of that. The taste of fast, right in your mouth. Incidentally, if uh, Toaster doesn't grab your appeal, the Sega shop has all kinds of other Sega items. Lots of brands, stuff we don't always see a lot of nowadays, including Sonic, Altered Beast, Golden Axe, Jet Set Radio, Shinobi, a little bit of Yakuza Kiwami 2 on there, and even the Sega Genesis itself. Phone cases, you can get t-shirts, hoodies, pins. There are Christmas ornaments and Christmas sweaters and stuff if you're going to be giving uh, before the holiday itself. I'd love to be wearing a uh, Sega Genesis Christmas sweater around, believe you me. <laughs> or if you really want to go back to the absurd, but toaster is maybe a little too much, you can give them the joy of Sega Genesis controller-shaped soap. Yes, I have seen that, and I thought, wow, I've always wanted an excuse to rub a Genesis controller all over my body. You need an excuse? <laughs> well, we'll save that discussion for another time. <laughs> But yes, I totally agree. They have lots of great stuff at that place. I'm actually wearing a Knights t-shirt right now that uh, I bought from that site. And I'm using a Streets of Rage mouse pad as well. So yeah, lots of cool stuff there. But uh, yeah, I have to agree with you. The toaster is definitely a unique one. Would you call that your night shirt? Uh, no. No, I would not. However, that does wrap up this week's big topic. Hopefully we've given you some good ideas either to suggest to loved ones for yourself or to get for the fellow gamer in your life. There are lots of cool game-related options out there these days, but hopefully this draws your attention to some of the best. And if you don't buy it for any of your loved ones, you could always buy them and send them to us. <laughs> oh, would you stop? <laughs> well, with that said, I do believe that brings this week's big topic to a close, which means it is pretty much time to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. However, before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and unsurprisingly, that is is a dramatic reading. This time, from the pages of Nintendo Power Volume 7, it is the preview of the NES game, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. In a one-room schoolhouse in Hannibal, Missouri, sits young Tom Sawyer, daydreaming of colorful adventuring up and down the Mississippi River. Armed with only rocks and his trusty slingshot, Tom braves six unique stages of pirates, octopi, alligators, punk monkeys, ghosts, dragons, and other challenging hazards in order to rescue sweet Becky Thatcher from the clutches of Tom's archenemy, Injun Joe. Player two, Huckleberry Finn, is also able to use the cool continue feature. And we're going on record as saying that reading the actual American classics by Mark Twain will really enhance your enjoyment of this adventure. Okay, I'll admit I haven't read a lot of Tom Sawyer in my day. Uh, it's, it's in my backlog. But I, I did not know that there were dragons involved, so I may have to bump that up on my <laughs> list of things to read. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read any myself, but I really do not remember the dragons or the punk monkeys. But uh, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. But but the octopus was a thing, right? <laughs> uh, possibly. Uh, the thing that I'm most mesmerized about in this game preview, though, is that uh, 
player two can use the continue feature. That's very exciting. Yeah, does that mean that only Huck Finn gets to use the continue feature and Tom Sawyer's just kind of uh, left behind? And more importantly, can he do anything aside from use the continue feature? I don't really know. I've never played this game. The mind boggles. Yeah, despite this scintillating preview, somehow I just never got around to picking it up and playing it. Who would have thought? Just seemed too educational to me. You know how those go. Can you believe it, Nintendo Power? Trying to force us to read a book? What are they thinking? Yeah, seriously. Crazy talk. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I need to get back to my Donkey Kong Jr. math so that I can do my taxes. <laughs> yes, you should get right on that. <laughs> okay, that does it for this week. Before we sign off, I wanted to mention that we will be taking a hiatus while I'm in Japan for a few weeks, but I do hope to be back before the end of the year, and I hope that everybody has a blast playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate while I am away. In the meantime, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff, and you can find Mr. Oxford at LBD underscore Night Train. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com, and if you like the podcast, of course, it would be swell if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, David Oxford. Everlasting peace out. And our adoptive daddy, Dr. Light. Ah, Mega Man! I've made a breakthrough! We will see you next time. <laughs>